Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Coming to you direct from our super secret studio. Hello, this is Washington for Beautiful People on Deep State Radio, and I'm your host, Emily Brandwin, CIA spy girl on Twitter. We're broadcasting from the West Left Coast, and today I am beyond thrilled and excited to be joined by the co-creative creator and executive producer of the nine-season CBS sitcom How I Met Your Mother. Um, he's a seven-time Emmy nominee. He wrote for little shows like The Late Show with David Letterman and American Dad, and he's calling from New York City. And it's Craig Thomas. Hey, Craig. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, just you lived in LA, right? When you did How I Met Your Mother. Correct? Yeah, we lived there for twelve years, like two or three years before How I Met Your Mother, and then we did nine seasons of the show. Uh, so yeah, just about twelve years total. Then I'm, I've been back in New York for like five years, better part of five years. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to appreciate this having lived here we're having a thunderstorm right now in la that's crazy um it's, it's five degrees here in new york so i can't tell who's who, who's worse or better off um you're much better. i actually liked i really liked it there when it rained i loved it there it was like i i mean i guess that's why i moved back to the east coast i missed weather it's just like <laughs> it was i i loved i loved how this everyone panics in la when it rains like no one can drive no one can go anywhere it's um, all over it's the news. Like, <laughs> yeah, like very minor, relatively minor weather events. It's a big deal. WeatherCon um, 2018. Yeah. And so it's like <laughs> yeah. screen. I, I loved it. I always loved rain there, and it never, ever rains. So that's probably why I moved. I missed it, rain. It literally, it thundered, and I was like, oh, I wonder what that was. I thought I dropped something. I'm like, it can't be that. <laughs> and then I looked out the window. I'm like, am I going to see toads and, like, locusts now? Like, what, what's next? <laughs> Is there hail? Because yeah, there's does, literal it, hail. Yeah, uh, yeah, I remember that once or twice. And uh, yeah, it's very rare, but every now and again that happens, and you're like, it's, it's, it's the end of days. This is it. This I'm going to die in Los Angeles. You just have and, to come, you come to terms with it. You're like, it's really happening. This is, this is where it ends for me, in L.A. Should, should I call all my high school nemesis and just tell them off? I feel like maybe yeah, this is I think the time the, to do it. The, the best use of your remaining time. I don't know why you're on the phone with me. You should get I'm, on that right now. I'm going to text them while we're talking. So if you hear, like, avoid, it's just me telling them to screw off and be like, you remember when you made fun of my hair? I remember that. Yet yeah, I'm the girl with the eye patch. That's me. If, um, if you don't get to all of them, just, like, text text them to me and I'll I'll, I'll tell them off. Oh, I'll do it for you. Please? That would be I'll a provide treat. you that service. Uh, that would, there's a lot of them, just so you know. I went to small school. There what, was a lot. what was going on with you in high school? Actually, that sounds that sounds like me too. So, I'm gonna start making that list for myself as a, as a disaster, uh, per, you know, precaution. <laughs> I actually have a theory that I think a lot of like creative-ish people and like people get into the arts, they've had like I was aggressively awkward, like kind of like super aggressive. But I think that's why I got into comedy, which is not you know unusual. Like, did, were you, like, a cool kid? Would you, like, talk to me, or were you kind of, like, one of, like, a little bit nerdy? 
the, this is the part where it's important to point out to the audience that Emily and I are not in the same room, and, and she would not be asking me that question right now. <laughs> she, were you a cool kid? Like, I'm 43. I'm not, I've, I'm not cool at any age. I've never been yeah, cool. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, yes, we are not in the same room, and that, that's why that question got asked. Uh, I was, no, I was, I was, like, weird, nerdy, arty music kid in high school, kind of off to the side. Um, yeah, and I went. To, I grew up on Long Island, and in this, in this, the hometown of uh, John Philip Sousa, who huh. does all like the marching band music and stuff. Yes. This is like the worst name dropping of all time. I'm not trying to brag say, about that fact. Like, I'm going like, somewhere with this. I was like, it's not like George Clooney. <laughs> uh, it's I'm sorry, it's John Philip Sousa. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's like the worst music in the world, and it, it's like meant to score football games. And that's what I, in the beginning of high school, I was like in the school band. I had to put on like the marching band uniform. It's like ninth grade. I'm like 14, like oh. six feet tall, probably about 94 pounds in this like marching band uniform with like the big like feather dildo coming out of the hat. Oh, and I, I just, that was kind of, that, that was kind of my moment of like what's happening in life. This is not, this isn't going well. And yeah, I quit that eventually. And like my hometown was like a lacrosse town and a football town. And yeah, I think, I think a lot of this led to me being sort of like weird comedy guy off to the side and like staying up late, watching <laughs> the old David Letterman show on NBC and just well, like becoming just a comedy nerd and uh, kind of going off on that path. And I quit being in the marching band to like start playing drums and bands with just like other weirdos like me. And yeah, that was definitely... That was definitely my sort of formative comedy years. I think it was just like hiding in like weird comedy stuff from that situation. I think it's a probably a similar like through line. Probably the different different facts are a little bit different are a little, you know, they vary, but that sounds very similar to my growing up. It's funny as you were talking about the marching band, my husband was in the marching band as well and he showed me a very oh similar picture and I was like, he goes, "What do you think?" I'm like, "I'm glad we're married." I'm really glad we're married when I saw this picture. That's all I have to say. He's like, is it that bad? I'm like, he's like, should I put it on Facebook? I'm like, I don't, need, I don't think you need to share it. Like I, think it's, those... I think it's too soon. It's been 30 years. No, it's just too soon. You know what? It feels uh, really fresh. It's not a great look. It's no. not a great look for a guy. And um, nobody yeah. looks good in it either. And you're just, mar it's basically like being in the army. It's basically oh. being in the army. It's like it's like you show up early before school starts and you practice marching. You practice marching so that you can do a good job marching at football games. It really was the worst. Worst. Um, so tell him I, I feel his pain. He even showed me like college <laughs> bands, marching bands. He's like, look at their formations. I'm like, I, I can't. I, I just I can't. Oh wow, he was way more into it than me. Yeah. I, yeah. I was like faking illnesses to like avoid going into it. I was I was like I just was. Shawshanking my tunnel out of that for like the first for freshman year, and eventually I sort of figured out a way to convince like my parents or whatever to just let me quit and go I, play like Led Zeppelin songs on the drums in my mom's basement. <laughs> I faked illness for four years so I could get out of gym class, literally four years. <laughs> and my dad's a That's doctor, amazing. so I was like, just just write the letter. My mom like kind of felt for me because I was like, I'm not going to do the mile run, Dad. Between you and me, you know it's not going to happen. Just write the note. So I think literally for four years I my gym teacher thought I had my period. Like, that's all I did. I was like, I got another note for you. <laughs> it was just four years straight. And, like, they got, and, you know, they're not going to say anything. Like, oh, okay, it's great. I'm like, this is the best thing ever. I get that. <laughs> it's amazing. So, that's I was, amazing. So, so after you went to college, or you, did you start, were, did you think your world was going to be music? Because I do want to talk about your band as well. Or did you think it's going to be comedy? Like, how did that go for you? 
I, I mean, that was definitely more, I, I, I mean, Carter Bayes and I, my writing partner, we, we, we've been writing together for 22, 20, something like 22 years. Um, we started working together in college and, but the way we started working together was we were in a couple different bands together. So kind of our creative connection came through music, but none of us was, we, we weren't really under the illusion, like, and we're going to make it and be rock stars. It was like, it was sort of like, <laughs> but it was, it, this is how dumb we were. Like, let's, let's make a far safer bet comedy writing for TV. That's, oh, that's... for sure going to go somewhere. <laughs> that's a good uh, <laughs> That was our that was our safety school. Become I, comedy writers on TV. That's like uh, Harvard is your safety school. So basically, comedy. <laughs> we had no no logical plan whatsoever. That was that was the soundest part of the uh, of our plan, and uh, so yeah, we we sort of switched into writing scripts. We liked all the same music, and we liked all the same comedy. And we we he basically grew up a music comedy weirdo nerd in Cleveland, while I was doing so in Port Washington, Long Island, and we yeah we started writing scripts together kind of towards the end of college and we sort of graduated with like our Conan O'Brien portfolio. We were obsessed with Conan O'Brien, like in the late nineties. That was like, we, that would have been our dream job. We had this like beautiful, perfectly like spent the whole senior year of college writing this Conan O'Brien portfolio. And we got out of school and sort of, and found a way to submit it through an agent we had found through us both interning at MTV. We got the same internship at MTV. Uh, MTV. Liked us, put us in touch with an agent. Yeah. MTV in the late nineties. It was a very different MTV. Very um, different. But so we got, we got put in touch with an agent who literally, how, how often does this happen? Became our agent to this day, Matt Wright serious? at UTA. That's Literally uh, representing us in from senior year of college. <laughs> uh, very unlikely turn of events. I, when people are like, how do you get into comedy writing? What are the steps? I'm like, I can't really tell you because I got an agent <laughs> in my senior year of college and that should not have happened. You're um, like, well, actually, it sounds pretty cool. You're like, I don't know how to help you. I was so good. I got a, you know, I had an agent. <laughs> no, just be lucky. Just be incredibly lucky and have things happen that don't make sense. And uh, yeah, it, it's that led to us getting on we couldn't get on to conan o'brien despite our lovely uh all color glossy portfolio we had spent a year writing but uh there were openings at david letterman at late show with david letterman and we spent i remember literally we graduated college we had an agent but we were living in my mom's house in long island by oh. in the closet was that marching band uniform and the feather dildo and all that stuff you need to and, tweet uh, a picture of that by the way it's like, <laughs> i've it's destroyed like all right photographic now. evidence of that <laughs> i don't know why your husband is holding on to pictures of that because i well, it's funny. I've, I've set fire to all of mine i literally yeah. have destroyed two decades of photos of myself and when we got married he's like oh let's do the montage where everybody sees photos and he's like why are there no photos from like 10 to 30 i'm like because they don't exist you're like I was in the CIA. I was in the CIA. I know how to make things disappear, and they're Those, gone. And they're Redacted. gone. He's like, literally, he's like, "What do you mean disappeared?" I'm like, "Nobody needs to see those." He's like, "You yeah. seem really yeah. intense." I'm like, "Oh yeah, they're gone." Yeah. And so my, like, I had I had the um, added benefit of like my parents were going through a horrible divorce as I was marching around in that uniform, so oh. no one was taking pictures of me. Oh. Like they were so distracted by their own shit that like no one was taking any pictures. So maybe there was like three pictures of me in that band uniform. And I silver think I did lining? conveniently make them go away. But yeah, what? Silver lining then? It's the silver lining. Yeah, I silver guess. lining. No, that was that was a divorce upside. No one was, was paying attention enough to take pictures of like 85 pound Craig Thomas in a John Philip Sousa marching band uniform. Yeah. And I totally interrupt you. You're um, So you're living at your parents' house and in the closets, the uniform. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it was Car Carter's like in the guest room. No, not yet working for Letterman. We oh. we were we we graduated. We had this like Conan O'Brien portfolio. 
We heard no jobs there, but uh, right up a David Letterman portfolio because they have they some people just left, and there are some openings there. And so I remember literally spending like a 48 hours awake at my mom's house in like the summer of 1997 with Carter, just like writing a late show with David Letterman submission portfolio, <laughs> basically from scratch, like one weekend and sending it in. And then they were like, "This is good. Come in and meet with us." And again, it was just the string of events that doesn't make sense and uh, led to us having a career. So it, it really was a lot of luck. But... You're saying, I was reading that 9-11 helped sort of inspire your shift to, you know, how I met your mother. And I was curious, like uh, when that happened, you were in New York, right? When it happened. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I was writing for that for a late show. Yeah. And how did yeah, that, so I... Sorry, I was going to have you just, it, I wanted to hear the story because I think it's so interesting because I think it's, for so many of us, it it was the change that happened in our brains to go, we have to do something different, something else to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it helped inform how I met your mother in a couple of different ways. One, just very logistically, we we decided after 9-11, it was, you know, I, it, it was, that happened right at the time where we were sort of gearing up to thinking we wanted to, to leave Late Show and tell larger narrative stories. And we, that, it was sort of the impetus for us to decide, let's move out of New York. Let's go to L.A. This is the moment. We knew at some point we had to go to L.A. to sort of advance that next yeah. part of our career. And also, it, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if I don't know your backstory if you were ever in New York around that time, but it was, it was a was, really hard time to be in New York. To say I was in D.C. Um, I, was, I was at the agency. You were in D.C., right. Time. Right. Was, that's when, Okay. It was uh, inescapable. You know, I lived in yeah. I lived in the West Village at the time, and it was oh. just one of those things. Like, we similar to you feeling the thunderstorm booms. Yeah. Like we, I, I felt the impact all the way. And the West Village is like you know, 25 yeah. minutes walk north from there. But I, I felt that the impact of the planes. Oh, Jesus. And it was terrifying. And I went out. I like actually went out to my mother's house in Long Island. Like I left New York City and I stayed out there for a few days. And it was just like a very different New York that we came back to. And um, Carter and I had been, you know, spending our 20s writing for Letterman and like going out at night, largely to this bar McGee's around the corner from Letterman that was sort of ah. the inspiration for McLaren's and, and How I Met Your Mother and sort of spending our 20s like living, living that life, like out drinking and having fun and working too much in New York. And we decided it sort of was like, oh, now we have to grow up a little bit and do something different. Now's the moment. And it felt like the time to leave New York. So we did. We, we left uh, Letterman that like late winter, early spring, moved to L.A. and sort of began thinking, well, what kind of what kind of show do we want to write? You know, we'll staff on a couple of sitcoms. But what, what's the story we want to tell? And I think in part, we wanted to tell a story from a future perspective, um, looking back on now ish you know I, yeah obviously how much mother it starts in 2005 which is the year that we wrote it we said let's look back at right now but in a way i think that that looking back that instinct to want to look back on your life from a future point it's like you want the notion that there's yeah. a future you that has survived things right there's like Absolutely. there's a grown-up version of you that lived through something and that person's okay They've been through some shit, <laughs> that future you, and they're looking back uh, with, uh, with this sort of experience and nostalgia and even gratitude for all of the hard things you went through. And I think, I think just being in New York at that time, we, you know, we moved to L.A., and by a few months living in L.A. in 2002, 9-11 and New York felt long ago, even though it was you know, yeah. eight months earlier, a year earlier. By, by the next year, September of the next year, it was like 
that was a different world. That was a different life. Everything felt so different. And I think that idea of like, you know, we were like, you know, when we were at How Much Mother, we were like 29. And we sometimes people would joke like, oh, you're getting all wistful looking back on New York. You're creating the story of like a guy in his 50s looking back on New York 25 years prior. And, and it was like, well, that, that's what it felt like. It okay. felt like it gave us this instant nostalgia, okay. you know, just instant nostalgia for a different time. And that's how you want it to feel like that's the memory you want to keep, you know, and I, I always appreciate it because I'm every day. I'm always, I always ask my husband, he works in TV. I'm like, is this the year we're going to move to New York? And he was just there. He's like, I just dealt with the weather. It's never going to happen. I'm like, so is that a hard no? <laughs> it seems like yeah. a hard no. Uh, but yeah, I think I always like love that about it. It always seemed, it, it seemed like the New York you wanted to be in, in the show. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the idea of no matter how hard and dark it feels in the moment, there's, there's some you years from now that can look back on it and make some kind of sense of it and have come through it in some way. Even if it was hard, even if not, life isn't perfect, you, you survived it and you got through and you have some kind of perspective on it. And I think all of that was, was really informed by that time of our life when we left New York to go to LA and then shortly thereafter, we wrote How I Met Your Mother. And I think it was just part of that. Is there anything going on now that you feel like because I'm obviously thinking about, you know, the shit show that's going on. Like, does any of the Mueller stuff or what's going on with Trump, has that ever inspired, does that inspire you to tell a story that's more political? Because I read your tweets and obviously that's why I started following you because I was like, oh, go give them hell. Like you did, you've done some amazing tweets that are like chef's kiss perfection that I'm very excited about. But so I was just curious, like, how does that inform your creative process? Because it's all around us and you can't escape it. It's, it's just everywhere. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's way too easy to get obsessed and distracted by it. It really is. It's like and then you and then you say, wait, I'm spending this much time as, a, as an artist, as a writer, as a comedy person. You go, I'm spending this much time thinking about this. How can I how can I turn it into something? Exactly. And sometimes that's just like a tweet that you feel like I have to vent something about this emotion. <laughs> and, and you're like, I don't know what good this does in the world, but it makes me feel a little bit better, kind of. Uh, no, but it, it really it, it definitely has affected me because. So yeah, one, one of the big things that happened to me in my 30s, as I was writing How Much Mothers, I, I became a special needs parent. My, my son, Elliot, was born, and he has a rare genetic condition where he's, he, it's a little genetic deletion where he's missing a little piece of one of his 11th chromosomes, and he has, it has like developmental aspects and health aspects. So he is a kid with special needs, right? He's, he is yeah. a kid with difference, with, with a level of disability. And one of the things that really, I mean, obviously that's become a huge issue for me. And I've, I've yeah. written a few different things about it that have yet to get into the world, but there, there's actually a, a movie project that Carter and I are, are, are writing that's entirely inspired by my son, Elliot, his first six weeks of life in the hospital. That's, this will sound very crazy. It's a movie musical dramedy oh. about the first six weeks of life when your child is born with difference in the hospital and sort of tells the story of the first month and a half of my son's life with, with songs. <laughs> and it's, you had and it's me a movie. musical. It's one of the craziest things we've ever written. No, it's the craziest thing we've ever written, but it might also be my favorite thing. So I'm hoping, we're hoping this year to get that made and make that a reality. So that's like it'll the be, very big. I would think yeah. it's going to be the most fulfilling thing that you'll, that you'll do. I, I can't it's, imagine. It's, it's combining it's everything main... in your life. Music. Yeah, yeah, it's it's music. It it ha, it's. I know it sounds intense, um, but it's it's it has comedy. Um, <laughs> it has a lot of heart and emotion. It's one of my. It's really the main. The my favorite thing I've worked on since time at your mother. We've done some other pilots that haven't gone anywhere, 
and this is sort of the most meaningful thing to me. And I, I, we started this a few years ago. That's how long it's taken to kind of get to the place where we're, we're getting some traction on maybe making this thing finally. Um, welcome to the world of indie movies, right? It takes years. But, yes. uh, but so that, that was started before, before Trump. But what brought, you know, I think each of us has our top thing or our top two or three things Donald Trump has said or done or recurringly said and done that get us that keep us up at night the most that that yeah. get to our core the most right yeah and that's the great thing about Donald Trump he gives everyone so many reasons to hate him and to feel absolutely so affronted <laughs> I know there's he's really brought so many disparate groups together in hating him and needing to stand up for their identities and one of those groups is uh, people living with a disability right and he he has such um. Donald Trump and his tweets and in his public discourse has an undeniable theme of shitting on people with a disability, whether it's physical or cognitive or both. Um, what he's what he's doing to healthcare, what he's doing to education, Is him mocking criminal. that reporter who had a disability, who had a disability, him using low IQ, him dropping the R word. Apparently, he calls people the R word. Uh, you know, regularly in, in his belittling of his various people that work for him. And it's, it's that one, that's, that's the issue that gets me the most and that, that makes me even more passionate to get this project I just told you about out there in the world because just telling stories that, that humanize the idea of disability and difference and, and people who've had to cope with, with that in life, humanizing that experience rather than what he does to so many different groups, which is to dehumanize them. Um, uh, that, that it really, it really, even though I said, even though I told you I, I started this project before Trump, it just feels so much more important to me to try to make this one. So we're putting a lot of effort and heart into making this project because it, it feels like as an artist, what I want, the story I want to tell in the Trump world. It also feels really, really not only just needed, but so timely as well. And it's, I, it's interesting because I talked to a lot of people like, how do you, how do you combat this? How do you, you, you know, can we win? You know, I make jokes about lighting my, my Mueller candle with, you know, my little prayer candle. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I don't know if that's going to do it, but like, what yeah. can you do? And I think these what are the do? things and like, but these, these are the ways to do it. And we're all speaking out. We're all making our voices loud, but when you create a project like this that other people will see, the hope is that it it sinks in because I don't remember a time before this where that kind of rhetoric was acceptable, where it was where we were just like, oh yeah, yeah. it's another thing that he said. We used to be horrified at that, and that's that yeah. hor being horrified is such a good thing. That means we have empathy, we have compassion, and right now there's just like a sinkhole around you know white the White yeah. House where it's just like a vacuum of all compassion and empathy, and he's just this oxygen thief that sort of steals all that away. And I I'm just appreciative that that's the kind of project that'll get out there because my hope is like it's right now like our hope is like our kids and our children, and you know I yeah. I, nieces and nephews and I literally end every email and text to my nieces with make a run for the white house, which I think <laughs> totally please. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just the Trump administration. It's, it's like, it's, it, you could just call the whole thing, like how to make a bully. How, how do we create, how do we create a new wave of bullies of people that are different? And it's just, I think one of your greatest fears when you become a special needs parent is will my child fit in? Will my child be accepted? Will my child be bullied? Um, and the idea of, of my son, who's, who's 11 now and is doing really well, but it, him, him coming of age, him growing up in this era, 
is terrifying. And then seeing what's happening across so many different identities and minorities in America, how, how unsafe they feel in this America where that type of hatred is being called out of the shadows every day by this man and, and the people that work with him. It's really terrifying. And, you know, I, I also have a, a daughter who's two and a half, a little bit, uh, almost three actually. And she, she was born just a little bit before, <laughs> before Trump took office. And I thought, she was being born into the first female presidency, and that was going to be just such an auspicious moment to be a little girl growing up in America. And I obviously, see. that's a whole other layer of heartbreak and terror yeah. that has come out of this thing is, is having this young girl in this climate. And, and you know, so I have a, a son with special needs and a, a daughter, and I, I don't I wouldn't know how to explain America to them at the moment. But I sure hope that, like, just the activism that is being inspired it's by amazing. everyone's, you know, by, by, by so many people being so scared and threatened and, and diminished by this administration. Like the, there is a huge upside to all of that pain, which is activism and taking charge. And I, I do see that happening. It gives me a lot of hope. Just what you said about your nieces and nephews, like that's, that's the hope, you know, that's, the that's, hope. that's what can save this. That yeah. They're going to, they're going to see this and they're going to realize it. And they're, I mean, I'm super heavy handed. There's like no subtlety to anything I tell them anymore. And Everyone's like, you can take it down a notch. I'm like, but I can't. Uh, I, totally. I, because I, I, I want them to see it. I thought the same thing. I'm like, how cool that my nieces are going to see Obama as a president and then Hillary as a president. Yeah. Like, what a cool yeah. world for them to only know this this type of leader who is a true leader. And you know, whether you agree with anyone's politics, you agree that they're leading with you know decency and integrity, and to yeah. see that. I was so excited for that. And I think in everything that was, you know, so disappointing, that to me was like sort of the gut punch. I mean, I was thinking though, for you, it's not, like, I feel like New York and LA, we're a little bit separate from some of the other stuff that's going on. We're not isolated from it, but I feel like there's maybe a little bit more acceptance, you know, on both coasts, yeah. maybe. I don't know. That's kind of my hope. I don't know if you've yeah. seen that, but, you know, I, I kind of feel that, which is nice because I've, you know, I've family in uh in the Midwest and other places, and it's always, I always get on their Facebook page. I'm like, I can't believe this, and it's always, you know, they're saying things about Trump. Yeah. Whatever. It's always, I'm like, oh, we're kind of isolated in our little bubbles over here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no question that we are, <laughs> but I mean, I think we all have we all have family members, and in, in here in New York, I have family members who, you know, I can't be Facebook friends with them anymore. <laughs> and it's it's really strange. Even people, you know, I mean, there's nothing new to be said about this. Like, why do so many of Trump's followers not see how much he does not serve their unique interests? You know what I mean? Like, I, I know people who who support Trump, who there are glaring things about their life that are the very things being undermined by Donald Trump. Um, and they support him anyway. And it's just as you just go, is there a magic spell has, there, has a contract with the devil been made? Like, there's only something supernatural can explain this. I, I honestly, it's like a, it's like a movie. I'm like, is it like, do they get like bird boxed in some way? Like a weird Trump and bird I'm, box? Like, I'm trying to, I'm like, you, they all looked in, you know, the, what are those characters in Harry Potter, the Dementors? Like, do they suck their soul? Yeah. Like, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah, I, it's very Dementor. It's a Dementory time. It just feels like America. We are just in the, <laughs> surrounded by Dementors, but we, you know, let's, 
We, there, there's a way out. There's the, we, we just there's, have to we have to just send our patronuses. This conversation is getting really dorky now, but I, I do think there's say, a way out. <laughs> it's, well, I was going to say, like, it's a pretty nerdy and dorky is usually where I end up veering if I'm talking about, like, musical theater. When oh. you said musical, I was like, what? Go on. You're telling me more about musicals? So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dorky is normally sort of my de facto uh, gear. <laughs> this is okay. a safe space. I, I used to march around with a feather penis coming out of my head. Oh, that needs to be a hashtag, by the way. <laughs> some in some variation of that that needs to trend because it's really amazing. And that character needs to be something. You need I, that <laughs> yeah. Needs to be realized. It's still it's still too soon. The pain is too it's too soon. It's only I been know. thirty years. When people mention eye, eye patches, I still, like, freak out. I'm like, no, it's too soon. I had lazy eye. But, like, that was a long time ago. I'm like, you have no idea what the ridicule was like when you have a lazy eye. No idea. Oh, my Especially God. That's, and was that, in, was that in high school? That was your, no, high, that was your trouble that lesson? No, um, it was a little bit yeah. before that. But I had an older brother who used to, like, ridicule me. And he was like, even her eye is lazy. And I was like, really? Really? That's what oh you're going to go God. with? Oh, my God. Or, just I like mean, he's little little uh, Don Rickles there, just giving you shit. That's crazy. Oh, by the way, um, I saw Don Rickles in concert like a couple years before he passed, and it, all I wanted was for him to insult me. Literally, that was my only. <laughs> and that would have brought that would have given you closure. Yeah. Oh my god, I was so excited. We sat close enough that I thought we were gonna, I was gonna get insulted, and then he insulted the woman in front of me, and I was like, did he mean that to me? And my husband's like, no, it's that woman. I'm like, are you sure? He's like, you're upset that he didn't like. Say yeah. was, you're insulted not to be insulted. That, and yeah. I was like, the worst not? insult is not to be insulted. I was like, yeah, I, I hear you. It was, yeah, it was <laughs> very, I was No, like, seriously, <laughs> the, those scars, though, they, the things that make us like comedy weirdos, like when I was in kindergarten, I used too much paste all the time. <gasps> I was just bad at paste. I'm, I'll admit it. It's, I, 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 I don't mind sharing that. And the, the kindergarten it. teacher, who was not a nice woman, uh, would make fun of me in front of the class and call me the paste machine. And it would mock me. And apparently I would come home from kindergarten, like five years old, and would say and would give reports to my mom, like, oh, today, like, Emily didn't laugh when she called me the paste machine and Amy and Doug and this person. I I would talk about who didn't laugh at me (laughs) when I would come home from kindergarten. And my mom was eventually like, I've got to go talk to this woman. This is this is horrible. (laughs) And went and talked to her, went and talked to her and and confronts her and says, hey, why, why are you calling my son a name? He's five. And she goes, because he does use too much paste. Like she was right. She was really defending yeah, she, the the school. She's so indignant. Supply. She's yeah, like, and I'm, yeah. I'm taking it to the to the moral authorities. He's too much paste. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's... It was ridiculous. So that was an, another early why I am a comedy writer experience. That's and apparently, it's... years and years later, and I I don't I won't name anyone's name, and I don't have full verification of this, but I think she was asked this teacher that made fun of me. She stayed in the school system for like decades. Was asked like not that long ago, I think, to leave the school the school district because she had apparently been stealing supplies from the school. And I was like, well, Jesus. that explains that I was cutting into her black market paste resale. <laughs> She's like um, on the street with a big like overcoat. Who needs paste? I got paste for you. I got, yeah, I got the this, kid's, this kid's cutting into my paste supply, my paste stash. The kid's going uh, down. I don't, the whole thing's crazy. Anyway, I that was a, a formative teacher experience. teacher who was horrible to me, like horrible, horrible. And it came out that she was asked to leave like 10 or 15 years later because she grabbed a kid by his ear and pulled him out of his chair. I mean, she was, she was troubled as it was like, we're all like, she was really scary. And I do want to say her name, but since you didn't, I'm going to be a little bit classy and not say her name. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? We, we made it out. We made it out. out. We don't. (laughs) But honestly, like, honest, honest to God, 
that type of like bullying from above it, it reminds me of Donald Trump, doesn't it? Like, yeah. bringing it back to that, like, it's it's that that's the climate we're now in. We're in a climate where, like, I mean, essentially that that is bull is bullying, you know, punching down, right? Punching down on people that you have power or you have some privilege that they didn't have or or got you know got lucky to be born at a certain time in a certain way, like, like the lazy privilege of punching down on people. It's just insane that that's what our leadership is right now. I mean, it is. He knows, like, my theory is he knows everything. Everyone's like, oh, first of all, when people call him ignorant, I always say stop because ignorant to me gives him leeway to do better. To me, that means that you're ignorant. You don't know better. I think he knows better. Like, I think he knows everything he's saying. He knows everything he's saying is just fucking awful, but he just says it anyway. Yeah, I think that's right. Or do you think he's like, oh, I didn't realize I shouldn't be doing this? Well, look, I mean, he's, I, I, to me, he's just a guy that has never had consequences. He never. hasn't. He's had no reasonable, there's no reason for him to expect consequences to be happening. And now that he has this sort of vague sense that consequences may be catching up with him, and they may be, dear God, wouldn't it be wonderful if oh, they did? My he, dream. He it's has, my eyelash wish. It is my birthday wish. It is a shooting star. Everything I can wish on. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, let's start just plucking out it. eyelashes right I, now. Let's, you know, we, we're going to be eyelashless. Uh, honest to God, it, what, what, what reason does he have to think he's gotten away with everything always, whatever he says and done, he, he's just gotten away with everything forever. And so he has this expectation he can continue to. And unfortunately, evidence backs that up for him. His life has been a series of not getting caught. And that's, I think that's him. I think he, I, I, I don't know if that's awareness or not awareness. I think it's just, it's he just thinks that nothing can happen to him. He, he actually thinks he's untouchable. I think. And that's why the, the panic scared? is starting to come out. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think so. Little, I always kind of judge by, like, the rapid-fire tweets. I'm like, oh, there was, like, it was like a tweet storm. It was like a Cat 5 tweet storm. Oh, he must be really shitting his pants right now. And I, you can kind of yeah. judge by, like, oh, the news is going to come out. By the way, every time we've said Trump, I don't know if you can hear it on your end, literally there's been thunder over here. And my shaking. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, that's so yeah. weird. I don't know if it's, like, God saying keep going or if there's something else going on. But... It's. I don't know if I'll have to find if we can hear it, but it's hilarious. We've every time we've said it, my floor starts to shake. I'm like, oh god. Yeah. It's like the Voldemort. dementors are just swooping right by. It. Yeah. They're, they're uh, waiting I, it <laughs> I, I have to believe he's feeling it. I mean, I think it's. I think that's what's so strange to him. I think becoming president is going to end up being the worst thing that ever happened to him in his life. I think so too. finally, it's it's going to be inescapable whether whether it happens while he's president or after. Um, I think finally this is the way that consequences finally will get to him. But it's you, what a strange thing to watch his his slow burn realization that 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 might happen to him finally. My, my <laughs> it's a strange dream thing to witness. It would be to see them all kind of marched across the White House lawn, oh, in the handcuffs. That would be that's a little bit like a little dream I have. Well, that and to be able to see. I was talking to my father who does little does little but watch cable news all day, really, and he his theory is having sort of assessed everything and having lived through Nixon himself, he he thinks that this all ends with the entire Trump family living outside of America. Like basically just we have to we have to leave. Whether or not it, he's removed from office or he finishes a term and leaves before he can be prosecuted for all the things that he gets exposed to by leaving office, he'll just go live in the like the Middle East in some like penthouse hotel room somewhere, you know, like the Trumps will all just be 
like the, this okay, banished yeah. kind of like doomed like Lannister kind of clan, like oh. living in some living in King's of Landing. Thrones? Thank you. <laughs> Are you finished watching it? By the way, I saw that you're watching it. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing I'm doing a rewatch. I'm like I'm 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 uh, only like season two and sort of a okay. rewatch, like gearing up to the the new season. But uh, it's it's enjoyable and weirdly like uh, like oh you know I remember watching this a few years ago and feeling like uh, I had a completely different response to it. Where now I'm watching it like yeah, this is yeah. actually familiar. I I get it. I get this feeling. Whereas I, under Obama it was like this is a nice fun sci-fi fantasy escape world, and now it's just, just like yeah, this this feels accurate. This feels emotionally accurate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it feels very, very real to me. You'll appreciate this. Yeah. Like, my niece is getting a bat mitzvah, and I'm like a little Game of Thrones. I'm like obsessed. I'm like, what about like a red bat mitzvah? Why don't we do that? And my husband's like, <laughs> that's so fucked up. I'm like, do you know how much fun that would be? He's like, do you want to rewatch it? I'm like, imagine how much fun that would be. He's like, never say it again. <laughs> Amazing. I'm Wouldn't on board. That, be- that sounds, that's a great, I, I'm on board. I don't think that that would scar children at all. No. <laughs> and I'm really, I love a Harry Potter bat mitzvah more than like that. It's not person. real blood. No. Yeah. <laughs> we could carry it. We could do pig's blood. We could do, it could be fun. You could use like icing or like something kind of fun and edible. I think it'd be amazing. If anybody does it, send I'm pictures not- because I think, <laughs> I think it's inspired. He's like, no, I'm on board. He's, he actually said, don't mention it to my in-laws. I was like, okay, I won't mention it to your parents, your folks. Um, and I have to ask you, because uh, this is my own little nerdy self. Like, I wanted to hear it. So I know you played a band, and this is a totally random segue, but how did you get the name The Solids? Because I'm always obsessed at finding how comedy groups and bands get their names. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the funny thing. When It wasn't supposed to be, like, some joke or something. It sort of sounds like it might be referring to poop or something, I guess. No, I was like, do me a but, it was really just do me a solid. It really, it really was that. It was just like we liked the idea of like do me a solid. I was like, all right, this. Uh, Carter and I were very into like um, we were, we were actually in a like nine piece soul band in in college. We were huge fans of the movie The Commitments, so we tried to do that in Connecticut instead of Ireland. And so we had like a four piece horn section. We played like oh, all yeah. like Stax Records, Otis Redding, Sam Cooke. We we did all of we we just were that band in college. And, like, just so many bands in that world and, like, Motown and just, like, bands that we were into at that time just had the and a plural, you know? Like, we just, we just like the simplicity of that. And somehow, like, the idea of, oh, do me a solid. All right, it's a solid. So that was, it kind of just came from that. We were just, like, very into, like, 50s and 60s kind of band names at that time. So we were trying to, like, and, but, but by the way, that was not the name of our soul band. We, we, that was, like, what we did after the soul band, which is us being, like, an indie rock kind of power poppy kind of band. And that that is the iteration of a band that we sort of carried into New York. We did that while we were at Letterman and we wrote the song, Hey Beautiful in that band. And part, a little part of that song became the theme song to How I Met Your Mother. And I will plug that band again, because in our, here we are in our forties, we are now getting that band back together in New York. And we're going to start playing some shows in 2019 where it's like true midlife crisis band, but we're going to play some like How I Met Your Mother-y things. We're going to play like some, some of our songs that were on the show and and stuff. So we're going to, we're going to, be playing around New York, so take look out for the solids, everybody. Are you gonna put? Are you gonna post info about it so people can know yeah, where to yeah, check yeah. it out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, we'll tweet about it. Um, we're hoping to play a show maybe in May, um, and actually try to raise some money for for the doctor who researches my my son's condition. So like, That's do do something amazing. that even do do something that even Good. if we're horrible and unwatchably bad in our 40s as a band, because it's not like we were that great in our 20s. 
uh, at least it's for a good cause. <laughs> in your twenties, though, out of a good cause. Didn't you think, like in your twenties, yeah. you were like am- amazing? Did you... <laughs> I don't know. I don't really? know. I think I. I think we, yeah, I guess we were under a little, we are under the illusion that we were worth, that like asking our coworkers to come was okay, uh, which is, a, which is a huge, oh, a huge ask <laughs> that we could we, like show our face the next day in front of our coworkers. And we were good. I, we felt we were good enough that it wasn't embarrassing. I guess that was the crucial test. We always, I don't know what the answer is to that test anymore, by the way. No, it's funny. Like <laughs> we always we'll, laugh we'll Do people like in LA, I don't know if people did this for you, like come see my improv show. It's probably yeah. the same thing. Oh, yeah. like, it was always like, come see my improv show. And like when we did yeah. improv, like, come see your... So we were like seeing so many improv shows. And like, you know that there's a wide range of good improv to bad oh, improv. Absolutely. So yeah. Yeah. we didn't know We did what a How Much Your Mother episode about that. We did a How Much Your Mother episode about like a friend, you know, when your friend and your friend group says like, come see my show. Oh. And we did a whole episode about that. That was entirely about that, the sort of like politics of that. Like, is that okay? You feel roped into going. And that came, I think that came in part because like we would, we would pass out our little band flyers at Letterman back in our 20s. And we'd like give them to everybody. We'd give them to Paul Schaefer. We'd give them to Dave Letterman. We'd be like, our band's playing. Come and on, just, Dave. he always like kind of laughed. He, he would always laugh and be like, oh yeah, I'm definitely coming. <laughs> and he did not, he did not make it. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm uh, definitely gonna be like, oh, he's mocking me full on. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I think he appreciated the balls of us being like, here's my band's flyer. We just would give him to everybody. Uh, yeah, so I guess in that sense, we were delusional and confident uh, to think that it was like okay to do that. <laughs> you always thought we were like genius at improv. Like even like in my different improv groups, I'm like, we were so funny. And then I look back at some of the sketches we wrote. I'm like, that's literally embarrassing. Like I cannot believe we did yeah. that in front of people, but we thought it was amazing. We were funny, but it wasn't. Yeah, we our new you thing need, now. Yeah, sorry, I'm sorry. I, I think the key, the key, the key is you need. I think you need all art comes from essentially some level of self delusion, right? You ha- you have to think you're that good. Yeah. You have to think that you're that good and that you are worth listening to in some way, or else you won't ever get anything done. So you kind of actually need to sort of like protect that precious little flame of your own self-delusion a little bit <laughs> not like it's, turn it into a raging wildfire of narcissism but there is some little to. flame of self-delusion that you need to like keep lit like keep a little eternal flame of like yeah i'm just that little bit good enough that people it's worth putting my work out there you actually that's that's a precious to. thing you got to keep it, that going <laughs> you have to have a little ego because it's it's like literally such a vulnerable place to be like here's something that i did it's literally oh, yeah. me. Like, what do you think? It's yeah. funny. Like, um, does your wife, do you ask your wife for feedback on stuff on either music or things that you wrote in like, um, or, like episodes or I'm just curious. I Do you know what? I used to a lot more. Um, and the reason that I don't as much is that Lily on How I Met Your Mother was a little bit based on her and Marshall was a little bit based on me. Really, they became their own characters pretty quickly and fictional characters. But every now and again, there'd be something like from our relationship that directly went on the show. And usually I'd forget to warn her that that was happening. So she'd just like, like watch it air to millions of people on CBS and be like, that's exactly what I said during that huge fight we had four years ago. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, sorry. Is that okay? Is that okay? Like, what do you mean? Is it okay? It's, it's airing right now. Like you can't, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. So there was, there was, there was a, you know, we're such vampires for material writers, right? We will just, like it doesn't even feel wrong to me to do like I have to remind myself to like tell people if I'm doing that at this point so <laughs> sometimes I, I would sort of shield I, I think I ask for feedback less because I'm sort of like I want to write it the way I want it to be and not 
and not have people tell me like that you can't use that it's terrible it's very selfish but uh i i should be showing i probably should be showing more material to people in my life before putting it into the world <laughs> but uh yeah that's my weird dynamic about showing things <laughs> well it's weird i was telling i was talking to somebody about this i was asking my husband i was like hey will you we listen to this podcast i was i'm really i'm excited about it and then he came home and i was like well and he goes do you want my feedback and i said no i i, I don't want your feedback i just want a compliment and he's like, I'm sorry, what? I'm like, I just want you to shower me with compliments yeah. right now. I don't yeah. want any feedback. He's like, but I'm your husband. This is what we do. I'm like, you can't censor me. I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I, I really, really want to censor you. Like, I totally, soups want to censor you. Like, <laughs> completely, totally censor you. I want to shut you down. He's like, you can't yeah. do it. I'm like, no, but if you ask directly, and it's literally I want. So we had a big debate over yeah. whether you're allowed to ask your spouse. And if you are, is the spouse supposed to be honest with you? Or are they just fucked if they are honest with you? Do you take, like, how do you, how do you, you know, play that little dance? I think it's separate conversations. I think you need that, you need to be very clear, like right now I need a conversation where you tell me I did great work and it's awesome that I put that out there. And then like maybe a separate scheduled conversation that yes. you like, that is like a feedback session that you know yes. you're asking for that. I think if like everyone's emotionally prepared, it goes better. Yes. Um, but it can't be the same conversation. I think you need no. that first nice conversation. And then like Absolutely. days need to pass before conversation too. Thank you. I'm going to be playing yeah. your quote over and over again. I said, you have to compliment sandwich me, like start with a compliment. And then like three months later, you can give me something negative, but then finish it off with another compliment. He's like, that will never happen. Yeah. I'm like, but that's how it needs to happen. That's, that's, I think <laughs> that's, that's the, the only magic. way this works. It's the only yeah, I think way. so. Well, we all I, need to be lied to from now on again. Even if we, even if it's not good, just lie to us. Just, just give us, lie. give us at least one, one pleasant lie conversation and then like a week later, honesty. I think that's what, what artists need. You just, the, first, the first thing needs to be a nice, just a nice lie. Oh, beautiful lie. And I don't <laughs> even coddle, like, coddle me, like placate me. Just, and you can even, and I know it's a lie. I'm okay with it, especially since yeah. I'm asking for it. I'm, I I'm very excited. I feel, like, I feel like I can use this as, as a proof point when I, uh, for the next time I ask for feedback and be like, well, I want you to listen to what Craig has to say. Uh, yeah, but, I think it's crucial. Oh, thank God. You've saved me. I also want to just thank you. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but this has been such a pleasure talking to you. I'm such a fan of your work and I'm, I was delighted following your Twitter feed as well. And I'm just, I'm so excited. Thank you for coming on. And I really appreciate it so much. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm, it's nice that you're doing this and have having a forum where people can talk about comedy and politics and all that stuff. I, I appreciate that you're doing that again. It's like, all we can do is put that little bit of good out into the world during this sort of dark time. And uh, good on you for doing the show. Oh, so I appreciate it. It's kind of a time where you're seeing more and more creative people in, in this world speaking out and talking about these issues that matter. So it's been exciting to see that sort of marriage of both worlds coming together. Um, I want to just tell anybody who's listening, uh, visit deepstateradionetwork.com and support all of our work by becoming a member. Members receive early access to all the podcasts, one-on-one -on -one newsmaker interviews, discounts on Deep State Radio swag, newsletters. Valentine's Day is coming up, so you can give the gift of Deep State. That's exciting. Um, and you can also follow Deep State Radio on Twitter, on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at CIA Spy Girl. And you can also follow Craig on Twitter at, how, I was going to say How I Met Your Mother Craig, but it's H-I-M-Y-M -M Craig. And follow him. He's a delight as well. Thank you, Craig. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you again. Have a good one. 
Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.